You know, private equity firms invest capital in companies, you know, perhaps to, to take them private, will then seek to dramatically grow cash flow at that company for, you know, their own and their investors' benefit, and then will sell the company and, and keep the profits. They're yeah. making money destroying money. companies. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> They're making yeah. money losing because, money. Because capitalism, Nick. From the home offices of Civic Ventures in downtown Seattle, this is Pitchfork Economics with Nick Hanauer, the best place to get the truth about who gets what and why. I'm not sure that you know this about me, Nick, but uh, my father was a psychiatrist. I did know that about you. It explains yeah, a lot it, about your personality. Yes, it does. Uh, <laughs> very, very into Freud. And, you know, he, uh, I, I bring this up actually because he, he did his uh, psychiatric residency at Hahnemann University Hospital in Philadelphia. And years later, he also taught medical students there. It's a, it was a hospital, uh, been there forever in, in the middle of Philadelphia, not in a very wealthy neighborhood, served a lot of uh, inner city residents, high rate of poverty among its, uh, its patients. And in 2018, it was uh, bought by a private equity firm and two years later, it was shut down and they're selling off its very valuable real estate. And I bring this up because that is the topic of today's episode, Nick. Private uh, equity. Private equity. In this case, uh, what some people call pirate equity, the uh, pillaging of American companies by these big private equity uh, funds. Yeah. And, you know, I have my own personal story, Goldie, which is that several years ago, uh, my brother and I sold our family business that, you know, we had owned as a family for a hundred years or something like that. Not a hundred years, but since the forties. And, you know, it was a profitable, well-managed company with a limited amount of debt and absolutely clean inventory. And we merged it into a competitor uh, who um, was owned by a private equity company. It was bankrupt within a year. And, you know, these are two great examples of the egregious practices of a business that shouldn't be harmful to the economy overall. Right, all private equity is is uh, or should be is groups of people buying companies and ideally improving them and selling them for a profit later. And what it has devolved into is this incredibly exploitive, corrupt practice of using levered money to buy companies and then extract all of the value out of it and kick the rest of it to the curb and make it somebody else's problem. Usually, right. publics. Let, yeah, let's let let's be clear. This isn't just you know some invest some investors putting money into a company and making a really bad uh, bad decision and losing their investment. No. Uh, that we could tolerate, right? Because if if that's what was happening, it wouldn't happen so often because these people Correct. wouldn't have more money to invest. Correct. Actually, 
they're investing money into these companies and using that to pull a shit ton of profits out of these companies, yeah. uh, driving them out of business and leaving, in the case of that hospital, the community uh, and the employees, the former employees to suffer. Uh, people now don't have a hospital in their neighborhood anymore. Uh, in the case of your company, uh, the employees, your I'm sure your suppliers, your right. customers, uh, all left holding the bag and these uh, private equity funds, uh, uh, yeah, you making know, money, making money. They're yeah. making money, destroying money. companies. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> they're making yeah. money because money. because capitalism, Nick. And and you know we've used a couple examples here at the start uh, that you know personally touch our lives in some way. But this is a big business, isn't it? Yes, it is becoming an incredibly big business bigger in some industries than others. Uh, 10 out of the 14 largest retail chain bankruptcies since 2012 were private equity acquired chains. You know, for example, Kmart and, and most egregiously, Toys R Us, uh, a lot of retail workers, one in four of, of which live near the poverty threshold, are laid off as a result of these bankruptcies and store closures. And many others have lost their pensions, which by the way, I find to be one of the most egregious practices yeah, that you can acquire a company and wipe out their pensions and leave the uh, retirees and and the government picking up the tab. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. We have a fabulous expert to talk us through all this nonsense today. Jim Baker is the executive director for the Private Equity Stakeholder Project. Uh, it'll be really interesting to talk to him. Jim Baker, I am the executive director of the Private Equity Stakeholder Project. We are a nonprofit organization, um, a watchdog group focused on the growing impacts of private equity and some more Wall Street firms on, on people and the planet. Um, and so we track impacts of private equity firms on workers and jobs, on the environment and climate change, on healthcare, housing, you know, civil rights issues, et cetera. So why don't we start by just explaining to our listeners what private equity is? I guess one way to think about it is, you know, private equity firms um, invest capital mostly from institutional investors. So, you know, ranging from pension funds to foundations, university endowments, you know, wealthy individuals, you know, unlike investing in stocks, they will invest cap capital in companies, you know, perhaps to, to, to take them private, um, will then seek typically over a period of three to five, four to six years to dramatically grow cash flow at that company um, for themselves, their, you know, their own and their investors' benefit, and then will sell the company, um, will seek to sell the company or take it public again, again, four to four to six years later. And, and keep the profits, right? And so that's what, what private equity does. And so typically private equity firms will look to, you know, double or triple their and their investors' money within a three to five, four to six year period of time. And you um, published a report on how Wall Street firms were pillaging American retail. Mm -hmm. T tell us some more about that. Yeah, so the report is a couple of years old, but many of the trends highlighted in the report are, you know, absolutely ongoing to this day. 
So in, in 2019, um, we worked together with uh, a couple of organizations, including United for Respect and the Center for Popular Democracy to look at private equity investments in, in the retail industry, uh, because you know, there had been lots of news coverage, as, as many folks have seen, about you know, the retail apocalypse or, or you know, all these retailers going through bankruptcy. But you know, we knew there was more to the story, right? And you know, based on seeing what had happened at you know, retailers like Toys R Us, et cetera, we, we knew that there was, there was more to it. And so looked at you know, essentially private equity investments in retailers over the, the, the decade prior, so 2009 to 2019, and looked at what happened to, to jobs at those, at those retailers um, and found that, that 600,000 people um, working at retail companies owned by private equity firms and hedge funds lost their jobs uh, over that decade through layoffs, bankruptcies, liquidations. We looked at you know, both job growth at those companies versus job losses and found that, that you know, private equity firms and other, other Wall Street firms had, had destroyed um, eight times as many retail jobs as they'd created over that decade. These job losses have ripple effects. So you know, just like we think about uh, when folks forecast increases in jobs, they talk about the multiplier effects, you know, for example, you know, somebody, you know, going into supporting a restaurant across the street or supporting a supplier, well, job loss is also a multiplier effects. And so when we actually looked, we, you know, 600,000 direct job losses in retail. Um, but but when just based on sort of thinking about multipliers, we, we actually think it, it led to more than 1.3 million, you know, job losses overall. And what I think is, is important uh, to note about it and note about the findings of it is, you know, there's a lot of a lot of news coverage about you know about um, closures of retailers, and it's you know there's certainly truth to that. But you know, just based on uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics data, during the same period of time, the retail industry as a whole added over a million additional jobs. Right. So, you know, these job losses actually ran counter to what the industry was doing uh, doing as a whole. And I think part of what was also where we where we kind of left at at the report is that. While there were 600,000 job losses at private equity-owned retailers uh, over that period of time, you know, in, in 2019 and still largely to this day, there are still around a million uh, employees, U.S. employees of private equity-owned retailers, right? So, you know, many other workers' jobs still still hang in the balance, and and in fact, you know, within the retail industry, we're still seeing large private equity, you know, kind of buyouts or attempted buyouts of retailers. For example, a couple of private equity firms right now are in the process are, are trying to acquire Kohl's, the department store chain, but that which has more than 100,000 workers. You know, and both of the firms that are, are trying to acquire Kohl's, Leonard Green and Partners and Sycamore Partners, you know, they both have records of loading companies with debt to, to take out dividends for themselves. Of, of taking uh, companies, including retailers, into bankruptcy of, of thousands or tens of thousands of workers losing their jobs. Can you explain something which I think I think mm -hmm. is confusing to a lot of people? How a private equity firm can take control of a company, essentially drive it out of business, drive it into bankruptcy, and still make money? How is it that they they buy a failing business and help it fail faster? And still profit from it. Yeah. So uh, one of the places we looked at was was Toys R Us, right? Which has obviously generated a lot of coverage when it went through bankruptcy. And 
you know, we um, uh, did some work uh, supporting efforts of Toys R Us workers to win a hardship hardship fund, you know, during the bankruptcy process. And one of the things that you know, when 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 workers first asked for the hardship fund, you know, the the company was like, oh well, we're bankrupt. You know, there's no money. But you know, when we looked closer, we actually noticed that uh, KKR uh, and Bain Capital, which had owned Toys R Us, um, had taken hundreds of millions of dollars in fees and uh, you know dividends and interest payments out of the company um, during the period that they owned it. So while Toys R Us itself went bankrupt and, and was liquidated, you know, our our analysis showed that that the private equity firms, through the fees that they had collected from the company, you know, actually made money on it. Right. Um, so workers, you know, workers had their severance terminated, creditors lost money, others lost money, but the private equity firms, because they had collected, you know, fees along the way, made money. Right. And we see this similarly with the 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 other the other practice that's really common are private equity firms taking um, what are called, you know, technically called dividend recapitalizations. We just end up in some in a simpler terms called debt funded dividends, where they you know, frankly, add, you know, in some cases, large amounts of debt uh, to the balance sheets of the companies that they own, and then use those dividends to pay them, you know, use that cash to, to pay themselves dividends. So they essentially pull money out of, out of the company while they still own it. Um, so they, you know, they make money, even as the company becomes more indebted. And so we've seen that with a number of the retailers that, um, that we, uh, a number of the retailers that we highlighted in the report that had gone bankrupt, but you know, frankly, we continue to see it to this day. Um, the la last year, 2021, was a record year for you know debt-funded dividends, um, you know, or, or or private equity firms adding debt to portfolio companies, companies they own to to pull out dividends for themselves. That's a shocking practice. I think it's really worth level setting just a tiny bit and say. A, that, you know, the practices of private equity firms generally are dishonest and pernicious, and we should regulate them in a much more profound way. And also that the retail business, uh, and certainly a lot of the retailers that are owned by private equity firms, were on their way out anyway. To be clear, Kmart isn't gone because of private equity. The business was incredibly poorly run and had been for a really long time, and they didn't change with the times. And um, this is true of a huge proportion of the retail businesses in America uh, that have not evolved in ways that are friendly to the to the present moment. Yeah. No. 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 Look, and, and, I, it's it's to, absolutely agreed. Yeah. And, and, like, the, and the, there's no private equity involved in Amazon.com because there's no room for those folks yeah. in strong companies. They tend to prey on weaker companies and weaker industries because that's where you find the running room. It, just, it's just, just I just want to be, be be clear that we're not blaming private equity for the rearrangement of how people buy things in the world, they certainly have hastened the demise of some retail companies. And, and I stipulate there may be examples where there was a company that was bankrupted by these uh, private equity practices that may have thrived well into the future. But we, we do need to distinguish between the pernicious practices and the strength or weakness of different kinds of industries. 
right? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I do think that, I mean, look, I think that there are, you know, we, again, we think about something like Toys R Us as an example, where it is pretty clear in looking at it that the dramatic levels of debt um, that the private equity firms use to acquire Toys R Us, you know, did hamper uh, the ability to, of the firm to, to effectively innovate. Um, so, you know, private equity and both the fees yeah. that were taken out and the, and the, the, just the massive levels of debt clearly had an impact. Obviously it's in an industry facing substantial headwinds, headwinds, as, as you're right, as we're going through this, you know, transformation in how people buy things. But, you know, look, I mean, Toys R Us is also kind of a perfect example. And I'm not defending the company, but like, it's a place where like kids went to play with things as well, right? Something that distinctly you could imagine to be like, uh, you know, sort of perfect for a, in, in, you know, for the if, if, if there's a, an industry that could um, find a way to sort yeah. of survive the onslaught, frankly, the retailers faced, you know, from kind of competi- online competition, that was one, right? And so, yeah. and similarly, we have seen, you know, some other types of retailers that, or some other retailers that have, uh, you know, evolved uh, a combination of sort of in-store and online presence to 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 sort of, you know, kind of respond to the moment. Obviously, yeah. lots of them didn't. Yeah. So I don't I don't really want to defend the industry, yeah. uh, the retail it, industry it, broadly, because I do think that also like many of the practices that we saw in retail, we've also seen in under, other industries. Part of the reason uh-huh. private private equity firms were so active in buying retailers is they owned a bunch of land. And so the the one way that private equity firms could make quick money off retailers was to buy the retailer and then get the retailer to sell its land and then, you know, use that, use whatever cash resulted from that sale to pay themselves a dividend. We've seen the same practice in hospitals, for example. And so private equity firms buying up, you know, safety net hospitals, mm-hmm. similar, similar practices where, you know, they, we've seen them, you know, taking out, you know, selling, selling the land and the buildings, taking out, uh, using that cash to pay themselves, you know, very large dividends, even as the, you know, patient care, even as, uh, you know, the, the sort of facilities, et cetera, suffered. No, absolutely. And look, a private equity firm bought my family business several years ago, which was a, an absolutely clean, cash flow positive, well-run enterprise, merged it with a company that they owned, that they promised was twice as profitable as we were, and bankrupted it within 12 months of the merger. <laughs> so clearly, they were lying about everything. Yeah. And, you know, just unforgivably stupid and greedy behavior I think it's so important for listeners to understand is that the key to the private equity business model is debt, right? Yep. They take a little bit of capital that they have raised from their investors and they pair that little bit of capital with a massive amount of borrowed money from banks and other um, entities. And they use that money to buy the company. But now the company holds that debt, right? Yeah. And that debt, of course, has to be repaid, well, usually with interest payments. And so a company that was debt-free and cash flow positive, all of a sudden after a private equity firm owns it, can be cash flow negative because of the high amounts of debt that they have to service. 
that is the core of the strategy. And that's why it often destabilizes healthy companies and drives them into bankruptcy. Right. So, so Jim, if you could uh, elaborate on this a little bit, when you're playing with other people's money this way, uh, what type of uh, risky behavior has that created in the private equity firms? Yeah, I mean, look, I would, I, I would just second um, what what Nick said about about debt. You know, right? When we look at you know debt levels at private equity-owned companies are as high as they've been since the global financial crisis in 2007. Part of what we've seen you know, actually since this report was written and over the last couple of years during the pandemic is, is private equity firms, you know, took advantage of the, after sort of Fed and other central bank interventions in, in debt markets, you know, debt became very cheap and accessible. And so private equity firms, like many companies, you know, took advantage of that to, you know, load on additional debt to, to pay themselves dividends. And so we've seen, we've seen debt levels at private equity owned companies increase substantially. You know, I, I think we've seen, you know, private equity companies, you know, sort of taking out dividends at the very same time that there are, you know, you know, dramatically, you know, kind of problematic practices at some of the companies that they own. We put out a report uh, just a few weeks ago looking at um, Pecker's Sanitation Services, which is a, a sort of janitorial and cleaning company that specializes in, in cleaning meatpacking plants. And despite being, you know, a, a relatively small, well, not small, but like, you know, not a, not a massive company, uh, there have been, you know, large numbers of OSHA violations uh, at the company, multiple um, employee deaths in just the last few years, really dramatic kind of health and safety issues at the company. But that hasn't stopped uh, Blackstone, the private equity firm that owns it, from taking hundreds of millions of dollars in dividends out of the company. You know, similarly, um, and, you know, another example uh, that we looked at or wrote about recently is, you know, private equity. There's been a ton of private equity investments in the in healthcare in in last few years. And again, some of it, you know, bringing about important uh, innovations, but in, in many cases, also just exacerbating problematic practices. So, you know, another example we've seen. A private equity firms own a company called Savita. It used to be called the Mentor Network, which provides uh, sort of services to you know sort of people with disabilities, services to you know for-profit foster care center, you know residential homes that they run. Some of which have drawn dramatic complaints, um, you know, been shut down by state authorities. But similarly, that didn't stop the private equity firms uh, that owned it from taking hundreds of millions of dollars in, in dividends out of the company. So, you know, I think what part of what we've seen is like this, even in the face of, you know, really dramatic problems or issues that, you know, frankly, deserve investment to, to sort of resolve at the companies. Yep. Um, we've instead seen, you know, private equity firms just taking out, you know, sort of focused almost entirely on just maximizing the amount of money they can take out. And again, this is not even right. These, you know, these dividends do nothing to benefit the companies themselves. They really just add to the debt. And um, so, they, yeah, I think that's what we've seen is there's this, this like just dramatic disconnect whereby, you know, the companies become really just a vehicle for adding debt and taking out dividends and seeking to maximize, you know, profits over a short period of time, even as there are, you know, problematic practices at those companies. So these practices have, have clearly gotten worse and, and have had more impact over the past few decades than they did before. Were they always legal? Did something change in the law or in the, the regulatory environment that allowed this to take off? Or is this just a, 
a change of mores? Well, I mean, Nick, you may know know more about this than me, but let me just say a couple of things, right? So the private sort of private equity and kind of private capital industry, you know, including private real estate infrastructure, et cetera, you know, really has grown dramatically in in just the last several years. So it it managed less than a trillion dollars in assets in 2004. Last year, it managed around $10 trillion in assets. And, you know, it's projected to grow to somewhere between 18 and 30 trillion by 2026, depending on who you ask. You know, so we, I, I just think we've seen like this, this massive growth over the last, um, although, you know, in many cases, like private equity firms are private. So, you know, there, there may not be a lot of publicity around that growth, but the, really this massive growth over, over the last decade or so, a couple decades. Um, and I just think that with that, we've seen growing, you know, sort of these practices on a larger and larger scale. So one other number I would cite just as an example um, the private equity industry put out in the end of 2018 and the end of 2020, their estimate of how many employees, uh, private equity owned companies employ in the US. And it jumped uh, by 33% uh, from 8.8 million employees at the end of 2018 to 11.7 at the end of 2020. Now, just to be clear, like that's not a result of job growth. Right, there have been academic studies that highlight, you know, that private equity acquisitions typically result in job losses at companies, and so, you know, we just have seen more and more. In, in that case, like it's it's a jump from 6.9 percent of the U.S. private sector workforce to around almost 10 percent uh, of the U.S. private sector workforce, and that's during COVID, right? That's that's during the period that that mo- that the economy saw substantial job losses. So, I mean, I think generally we're seeing, you know, private equity firms, you know, kind of impacting more and more people, whether that's people at their jobs at work, just because they're buying more and larger companies, companies like uh, G4S, a security company with now had that now has 800,000 employees globally, um, or um, uh, Dunkin' Brands, which owns, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, Baskin Robbins, et cetera. Um, so we're seeing private equity firms kind of buying larger and larger companies that impact more workers. And then also obviously seeing seeing them buying, you know, like I said, in industries like healthcare, which impact, you know, lots of lots of other folks, patients, healthcare consumers, et cetera, right? Or housing and so on. So let's get to what we should do about all this. I think it doesn't make sense, strictly speaking, to just outlaw private equity, but more particularly some of the practices. So what if you were in charge, what would you do? Yeah, look, I mean, I think I think you're absolutely right. I and mean, I think our view is that I think, as you said, you know, private equity at its base is just, you know, people getting together to invest in a company, you know, and so the question is all about the practices and the the, the terms of how you do that, right? And so, you know, things that that you could do are to to outlaw some of the egregious practices, things like the the debt funded dividends that I mentioned, which which only benefit the the private equity firm, or at least limit them so that you know, they're not taking any more in dividends than the actual profits that the company is generating. Or, you know, you could, I mean, the other, I mean, I think, you know, frankly, uh, that thing that's been proposed that I think is, is important is, you know, put it, ensuring that private equity firms are, are on the hook to some degree for the, the liabilities that their portfolio companies incur. So, and we've seen this in very limited instances, you know, uh, in, in a few cases where private equity owned healthcare companies have committed 
Medicaid and Medicare fraud, where the private equity firm was ultimately held responsible, you know, we do think there needs to be like a greater degree of responsibility that that private equity firms take if they're incurring uh, massive debts or massive liabilities or engaging in practices, you know, um, uh, things that harm people's health or the environment that that themselves incur massive liabilities, then like then then our belief is the private equity firm should ultimately be responsible for those liabilities, yeah. right? So something that ensures that you know that they have that they take responsibility for for liabilities that they incur, you know, limits on on their ability to pull just pull fees out of companies or dividends right. out of companies or just sort of loot loot companies, right? I mean, we think that that would focus the you know the industry a lot more, and you know, and perhaps limits on leverage on how much leverage they can use itself, right? You know, which right. would hopefully focus the industry a lot more on like what it should be about, which is how do you make this a better run company, right? Yeah. Or how do you make this a, you know. Like and when it is a better run company and a making better products, you can no doubt sell it for more than you bought, bought it for. Exactly. Exactly. Um, which is, I mean, that, and that's why I think, you know, in theory, what it was supposed to be out in the first place, but part yeah. of, you know, we've just found. It's just been just corrupted. Seen, yeah, they're just ways that firms have kind of taught, sought to game the practices so that you give, it's really just about extracting right. extracting money. Yeah. So is there a specific policy agenda that someone has advanced to reform private equity practices that you are an advocate for? Yeah, we're a supporter of the, the Stop Wall Street Wooding Act, which with which Senator Elizabeth Warren has put forward. We've also, you know, I mean, I think we've also supported, you know, specific interventions in particular industries, right? So, you know, healthcare, I gave as an example, where, you know, you think of it as an industry where there is a massive, massive amount of public money going into healthcare. Um, there's also, you know, especially vulnerable populations. So, you know, so we're, I would say we're both supportive of, you know, kind of broad efforts at reforms, as well as, you know, kind of more focused efforts at, at industries where there are both vulnerable populations and, you know, large amounts of public money going in. Yeah. So we always ask the benevolent dictator question, what would you, what would you do if you had the power? Is that it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think what I just said before, which is, you know, the, the limits on, you know, limits on debt, um, private equity firms being responsible for, you know, the liabilities or, or the actions of the companies that they ultimately control. Yeah. 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 Interesting. What else we got, Goldie? I think we got the the final question. Why do you do this work? <laughs> yeah, um, great question. So, you know, my uh, background uh, in this work is, you know, is actually working for a couple of, you know, most of the last couple of decades in the labor movement, working to support, you know, efforts by janitors you know, uh, hotel housekeepers, you know, security officers, folks like that, you know, efforts to, of, of those folks to win living wages, to win, you know, decent jobs, et cetera. And, you know, part of how I frankly got started uh, working on private equity was, you know, just noticing, you know, working with, you know, hospitality workers and noticing, you know, private equity firms buying up more and more companies um, in, in the industries with the, in which, these folks worked, um, but in the process of doing that, we also noticed that many of the same companies were impacting ordinary people in lots of different ways, right? So many of the same companies weren't just buying up employers, but they were also 
you know, buying up hospitals where people sought care or buying up uh, housing where people, you know, rented or buying up people's mortgages and foreclosing on them. And so, I mean, I think it really was, um, you know, part of what, what is the, the kind of why we do this work is just a sense that like there is this, um, the impacts that the sort of, you know, very much growing impacts that these firms have, you know, are a bit below the surface, right? And so they may not be readily apparent. And so I really do think it is to, to work to, you know, I think I, I see our work and, and my work is, is continuing in the, in the work that I've done for the last couple of, of decades, which is working to support efforts by, by ordinary people to, you know, press for, for, you know, better living conditions, for, you know, kind of a more just um, life for themselves and their families. Thank you so much for being with us. Fascinating, depressing. Ugh, there's so yeah. much work to do. I know, lots of work to do. But I mean, look, I think it's also like, I think we've also been encouraged by, it is sort of, it does work below the surface, but I do think we've been, we've been encouraged by kind of growing attention that, you know, that the issue is commanded. So, you know, we're obviously hopeful. Well, thank you for being with us. Thanks so much. You know, talking to Jim, I I think I've seen this movie before, and it was yeah. uh, way back in 1987, the movie Wall Street. Yes, it's so it's so true, and it just I guess that it's the only change has just gotten more egregious <laughs> <laughs> and bigger, more yeah. common. That's and, right, and it's and it's funny, Nick. Um, uh, because uh, you often bring up one of the, you know, the line from Wall Street. Greed is good. Uh, greed is good. And it turns out greed is not good. No, greed <laughs> is not good. Greed is not good. And uh, we're learning more and more about why it's not good every day. And certainly the private equity business, that 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 industry is doing its level best to prove to the rest of America every single day that greed is not good, that greed simply um, enriches the few and impoverishes the many and destabilizes both economies and democracies. And let's be clear, you know, you, you brought up the fact that, you know, a lot of these retail firms were struggling anyway, because um, yeah, there's a, sure. a shift in buying patterns. You know, there's this yeah. happens anyway. Big retailers um, you know, when I was a kid, there were still Woolworths and this is before, you know, they started dying before yeah. uh, we shifted to online purchasing. You know, there was Sears, whatever, and new yeah. retailers, taste change. But but let's be clear, there's a big difference between a gradual natural death of one yeah. of these retail giants yeah. and what happened at a Toys R Us, where yeah. all of a sudden they just closed down hundreds of stores, putting people out of business and and uh, and and people out of work. Yeah, and correct. and also, by the way, leaving vendors uh, with bills unpaid. That's right. It, it hurt a lot of vendors in the process. And when you're and when you're a company like Toys R Us, uh, I know from when I was a little software publisher, when when we had a retailer or a uh, our distributor went under after being acquired, and you know that was like forty percent of our income that year, yeah. which we didn't get paid. Yeah, yeah. For uh, sure. So it pretty much put us out of business. You know, it, it has this ripple effect throughout the economy. So you have this dying company and this private equity fund uh, makes money off of accelerating the dying, yeah. shifting that cost to everybody else, the, yeah. the workers, the vendors, the community and uh, taxpayers as well. So it's not simply a, uh, 
you know, oh, we're just going to put Sears out on an iceberg and yeah. uh, and let it fade away. <laughs> That's right. No, and, and the risks are getting greater because private equity companies own more and more of the economy. And, and that's know. a really important point, Nick. And I think what you're seeing here is one of these, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a feedback loop that as inequality has grown in the United States and more and more capital has been concentrated at the top in the hands of fewer uh, companies and people, they're looking for ways to make money out of their money. They, yeah. they, they need a return. Yeah. And one of the ways they're getting this return is by buying up more assets and uh, drawing profits out of it any way possible. So one of the reasons why you have so much growth in the private equity uh, industry is that there's so much more capital to pump into private equity. That's true. Where, whereas if if this was just wages. This money was going to wages, that's where I was going, yeah. you'd have a very different dynamic. Goldie, I feel bad that I don't I'm not more acquainted with the policy agenda that can reform some of this stuff. We should do some research on that. Um, I, I know that you could you could regulate these practices uh, in ways that would make them just less, you know, less pernicious. And and that's what we should do because it shouldn't be illegal to buy companies to improve them to sell them. But right, what's well, going on right now? Uh, that's you know that that seems to me to be intolerable. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and Nick Hanauer. Follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks and peek behind the podcast scenes on Instagram at Pitchfork Economics. As always, from our team at Civic Ventures, thanks for listening. See you next week.